Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today, we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each one of us. Peace be with you. Friends, we enter once more into the very holy season of Lent, a time of preparation, a desert time, a time of prayer fasting and almsgiving. But I want to stress today a time to return to the basics. If you're um, a practitioner of a sport and you're even quite good at it, but very often the beginning of the season, you go back to the basics. You're a football player, you go back to you know the three-point stance and you go back to the fundamentals of, of blocking and tackling, etc., basketball player, the fundamentals of, of passing and shooting and defense. You're a golfer. Some I think it's toughest in golf is you have to go back to the fundamentals of the swing, even if you're quite accomplished. Well, in the spiritual order, it's the same thing, isn't it? Even those of us who've been at least trying to live the spiritual life for a long time, we have to return again and again to the fundamentals. And Lent is a time for that. And especially the readings now that we get during these weeks of Lent, are an attempt to introduce us once again to these basic moves of the Christian life. And so, how wonderful the Church gives us for this first Sunday of Lent, a passage from the very beginning of the Bible, a story of universal and enduring significance. I'm talking about the story of the creation and fall of mankind. We will not properly understand this epic tale until we see that it has to do with us. See, don't read it just as, oh, something happened to these people long ago. It's a story about us. First thing to notice is how positively the story commences. God places his human creatures in a garden. Not a desert, not a lifeless ground, not a prison, not a place of isolation and exile, but precisely in a verdant and lively place. And so let me just say this bluntly. Indeed, the original blessing comes before the original sin. The original blessing is more, I'll put it philosophically, ontologically fundamental than original sin. See, part of the problem, everybody, is we can become so focused on the fall and on the primal sin that we forget. No, no, what God wanted for us from the beginning is life. My great hero, St. Irenaeus, who said, Gloria Dei Homo Vivens. The glory of God is a human being fully alive. That's how the spiritual life begins. 
with that insight, just as creation begins with the original blessing before the original sin. Moreover, God tells our first parents in this great account from Genesis that they may eat of all the trees of the garden, save one. Boy, but we put such a stress on that one prohibition that we so easily overlook the extraordinary permission of the Garden of Eden. Eat, God says, of all the trees. The church fathers famously read this as Adam and Eve at play in the field of the Lord. And the trees as all the forms of human flourishing. Think here of of friendship, of science, of art, of philosophy, of politics, of sexual intimacy, of conversation. All those things that make life rich and wonderful. That's what God wants for us. Eat of all the the fruits of of the trees. The point is, everybody, and this is a spiritual basic, we do not have a stingy and jealous God. We do not have a God who clings to his own prerogatives and demands a kind of slavish obedience on our part. No, 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 no. He wants us alive, and he rejoices in our flourishing. You know, uh, I've talked before about the uh, symbol of God's anger, which is certainly on display in, in the Bible. We should not read it as God falling into a kind of an emotional snit. (laughs) I'm angry at you. God's anger is always, if I can put it this way, God's deep frustration at what is keeping us from being fully alive. That's what God's angry about, if you want. And therefore, he's passionate to set things right. Okay? Only having seen and appreciated all of this Are we ready to hear about the prohibition? So listen. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you must not eat, the Lord says. Okay, so there is this this prohibition. (laughs) Please don't overlook the permission. Don't rush to the prohibition. Linger. Maybe that's that's a challenge of, of this opening week of Lent, is to linger with the great permission. But okay, we'll look now at the prohibition. How shouldn't we read this? And trust me when I tell you, these readings have been on display in Christian history, but they're really bad. We should not read it, certainly, as some arbitrary prejudice against knowledge. And people have read it that way. No, no, no. God, God is nothing against knowledge or our knowledge of things or the sciences or philosophy. God loves that. God rejoices in our knowledge. Think of the explosion of, of scientific knowledge the last several hundred years. That's a, that's a manifestation of grace. God has nothing against knowledge. That's the door to a kind of uh, cramped you know, fundamentalism. But God, God doesn't want that. Nor should we read it as somehow prohibiting us from making distinctions between right and wrong. I mean, that's just part of the moral life. 
that we have knowledge of good and evil. We make our judgments based upon that. God has nothing against that. On the contrary, he wants that. So how should we read it? Can I suggest along the lines of St. John Paul II, John Paul, of course, who loved these opening texts of the Bible, and much of the theology of the body is predicated upon these texts. John Paul says, since God is goodness itself, right, not just one, one good thing among many, God is goodness itself. Listen now. Therefore, he's the criterion by which good and evil are determined. Right? He's goodness itself. Therefore, he's the point of discrimination or demarcation. When we live our lives in accord with his command, when we adjust our will to his will, our minds to his mind, then we live well. When we live out of step with the divine goodness, then things go wrong. Therefore, what we should never do is arrogate to ourselves the prerogative of determining good and evil. That makes sense. We don't make of our own wills, our own freedom, our own experience, the criterion of good and evil. No, no, God, God alone, in that sense, has the knowledge of good and evil. He's the criterion. When we make ourselves the criterion of good and evil, we put ourselves on a short road to disaster. And that's been true from the beginning of the human race until today. And you see, everybody, how extraordinarily relevant this is to our own time. I think it's one of the marks of our time. It's changed in, in the course of, of my lifetime. Today, everyone and his brother thinks that he has the right to determine the meaning of his own life. Right? Don't tell me what to think. Don't tell me how to behave. It's my freedom. I decide. Good and evil, right and wrong, uh, the, the shape of my own body, my gender. I mean, everything. I'm the criterion of good and evil. It's important, I think, on this first Sunday of Lent to recall that still breathtaking, stunning formulation of the U.S. Supreme Court in the matter of Casey versus Planned Parenthood. This is 1992, a long time ago now. Our Supreme Court said it belongs to the very nature of liberty to determine the meaning of my own life. See, on biblical terms, that's the original sin. That's original sin playing itself out again. This is precisely what it means to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When we listen to God and surrender to him, we get a garden of life. When we set our own agenda on our own terms, we move into the desert. Notice, please, as I bring it to a close, how subtle is the temptation of the serpent, who's described in Genesis as the most kind of wily or crafty of God's creatures. He says, you won't die. You'll become like God, knowing good and evil. 
See, that's exactly right. Very deep in the recesses of our minds and souls is this suspicion that God wants to keep us down. And so, like Prometheus, we grasp at fire. We grasp at the prerogative of God, claiming it for ourselves. You see how the serpent's suggestion is precisely along these Promethean lines. You know, hey, he's, he's blocking you from something. He's jealous that you might become like him. See, that's a lie. Because the entire biblical revelation is about how God wants to share his life with us. All of which, I would say, culminates in Jesus' great assurance to his disciples, I no longer call you servants, but friends. That's what God wants. The serpent places in the minds of our first parents this suggestion that God's arrival, he doesn't want you to be like him, he doesn't want intimacy. And so go ahead, cling to the knowledge of good and evil. Make yourself the criterion. All of which brings me, and I'll, I'll close with this, to St. Paul's beautiful summary of the Christian faith, which can be found in our second reading. It's taken from his greatest letter to the Romans. Listen. For just as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. The problem comes from disobedience, from not listening to God. The great salvation, the great healing comes from listening, from obedience to the God who wants us fully alive. Friends, can I ask you on this first Sunday of Lent, to get back to this fundamental of the spiritual life. Because in a way, everything else follows from it. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.